This episode is a discussion of mental health, including how mental health issues can lead to thoughts of suicide. Though our guest Ryan Bauer is very open about his experience, some of the content covered is sensitive and potentially triggering for some people. Katie and I are both extremely thankful to Ryan for joining us and opening up about his experiences. I personally did not know anything about Ryan nor about his situation before recording this episode, and I learned a lot about mental health issues just from today's discussion. If you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, you are not alone. The Suicide Prevention Hotline is always available 24-7 at 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. You can also find them online at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. everyone. Welcome back to the Cosina Connection podcast. This is Katie Mucci here with Katie Hewitt, Kyler Ludlow, and Ryan Bauer. I am really excited to talk about this topic today. We have been discussing having this as a feature on the podcast for basically a year now um, since we really talked about the planning stages of this podcast. And that topic is obviously mental health, as you'll see in the title. Um, And we have wanted to cover this in some way, shape, or form within our committee because it is such an important topic and such a big topic right now in um, not just the SID business, but in all of the workplace and just the world in general. Um, But we've really been trying to figure out the perfect person to bring on this podcast and also the right time to put this out. And we do think we finally found a perfect person to speak on this topic and think this is a good time with us heading back into the season. So with no further ado, we have Ryan Bauer on the line, like I said. Um, Ryan, give us a little info on you. Talk to us about um, where you work, where you have worked in the past, um, tell us about you. Um, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm uh, looking forward to talking to you guys uh, tonight. Um, I'm the director of uh, athletic communications at Florida Southern College uh, in Lakeland, Florida, Division II school in the Sunshine State Conference. Um, I've going on my third year now. I started in August of 2016. Uh, prior to that, I worked at my alma mater, Cedarville University, for a year. Uh, that was in public relations outside of athletics. I uh, wanted to explore something outside of athletics. Uh, ended up getting back into it. Before that, I was at Appalachian State for four years in North Carolina, and um, prior to that, was in graduate school at Western Illinois University as a graduate assistant in the sports information office. Uh, so I've been in you about 10 years full-time staff in the office, which is pretty unique for the Division II level. Um, as the director um, of athletic communications, it's my responsibility to basically oversee all our day-to-day operations. Um, I manage a lot of our social media. I kind of set the vision for that. I set the vision of what we're doing as far as what our designs look like, our our graphic design elements. Um, I oversee and come up with ideas for a lot of video content that we do. I oversee all the live streaming. Um, But I also do the the day-to-day stuff uh, as far as the main contact for men's and women's basketball, volleyball, water ski, um, women's lacrosse. Uh, so there's there's a lot that uh, that I do, um, but you know everybody wears a lot of hats, especially at the Division two level. So, but we we've got a pretty good setup and a good staff, uh, a lot of good student help as well, and um, that's really uh, how we survive. Awesome. Well, I I guess getting back onto the topic of mental health, I saw about a year ago, I think, is when you posted it on Facebook, um, kind of about your your journey and your struggle with mental health. Um, so I want you really to tell the whole thing. Um, so I guess the floor is yours. Sure. Um, I appreciate it. So it's, um, I guess I'll start when I was a, a teenager. I think all of us go through that time where we have a lot of teen angst and mom and dad don't understand us and things like that. Um, you know, everybody just thinks we're an angry teenager, <laughs> hormonal and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and I think that there's something to be said for that. But when I was 15 years old, uh, my uncle Kent uh, committed suicide. Um, and he was 33, I think, or 32, about my age right now. Um, and he had issues with bipolar and, and all kinds of stuff like that, depression, anxiety. Um, and, you know, at, at age 32, 33, he took his own life. And I am the oldest of three kids. I have two younger sisters. And my uncle was kind of like the closest thing I ever had to a big brother. And so that hit me really hard. And that's when I started to probably exhibit some symptoms of depression. Um, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of, of just feeling very down and alone um, and things like that. Um, I think that I and even my parents, to an extent, chalked it up to just being a 15-year-old. And, and going through all those hormonal changes and things like that. But there is history of, of mental illness and depression in the family, um, especially on my dad's side. This was interesting because it was on my, on my mom's side. It was my mom's brother. And there's not a lot of history of it there, but there is on my dad's side quite a bit. And, um, you know, from there, kind of moved on with things. And, you know, in college, had high times and low times, I think, like everybody does. Um, and I think there was one particular time in college where just things were pretty bad. And, and I had, you know, I had some suicidal thoughts and things like that. And so I, um, I saw the doctor, they diagnosed me with clinical depression. Uh, they put me on Prozac and I took that for the next, gosh, 10 years. Um, and, and things were pretty good. Um, you know, that was all throughout my time in grad school and at Appalachian state and, and, um, kind of the first part of my time at Cedarville as well. Um, and then in August of 2016, um, I got the job at Florida Southern, uh, was really excited about that opportunity, uh, got down here and things just kind of fell apart in the first two weeks. Um, it wasn't something that happened like immediately. It was something that had definitely been building over time. I was unhappy for a while, probably six months, uh, both with just, I was unhappy being outside of athletics. I knew I wanted to get back into it. So um, you know, there was part of it that, that was kind of searching for things there, but I was also in what I would term now an emotionally abusive relationship. Um, and you know, not to dive too much into the specifics of that, but it was basically just, it was a toxic relationship with someone I was dating and, and I had to get out of that. Um, and that was harder, easier said than done. Um, and then when I got to Florida Southern, I had the pressures of that plus, uh, my sister was pregnant with my nephew. Um, she went into labor early while the family was on vacation and he was born super early and didn't make it. Um, and then quite honestly, what I, you know, uh, there were a lot of things at work that I needed to, to get fixed and get turned around. And it was kind of overwhelming at first. I'd never been in charge before and all that stuff just combined to just absolutely beat me down. And like I said, it didn't, it wasn't like a switch just flipped. It didn't happen right away, but you know, I felt very alone. I felt very overwhelmed. My anxiety was off the charts. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, calling my mom and dad and calling my friends and saying, I can't do this. Like, I can't, I can't make this work. This job isn't going to work. It's, it's not going to work out. You know, I'm not capable of it. Um, you know, even so far to the point is telling my parents, like, just let me move back home with you guys. I'll get a job at Walmart, like whatever. I just need to figure out my life right now. Um, you know, I was getting a lot of pressure from the person I was dating at the time to make everything work. And it was one of those relationships, if you've ever been in, where you kind of are made to feel like you're the bad guy all the time. And that's kind of where I was. And it was tough. And I wanted to get out, but I wanted it to end peacefully. And so I didn't get out because it wasn't going to end peacefully. And it was just a mess. But 
you know, all those things combined to just make me feel like I was totally alone. And so, um, you know, I remember just breaking down and going home and crying and, and like, I can't do this. And then finally said to my parents the one day, you know, will you, can you guys take my dog for a little bit? Just take care of the dog for a little bit for me so I can get things figured out. And that's when something clicked in my dad's head that something was really, really wrong. And the thing that they didn't know is that I had been thinking all week long, um, that first week or so that I was on the job of, of committing suicide. Um, I didn't see a way out. I didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I thought it would just, that would make all the problems go away, but it would also be easier on everybody else because they wouldn't have to deal with my problems too. Um, so when I said, will you guys take the dog? Something clicked in my dad and I'm glad it did. And he called me about two hours later. You might hear the dogs barking in the background right now, actually. But um, he uh, he called me about two hours later and he said, hey, um, I'm on my way to Tampa right now and I'm flying in tonight. I'll rent a car and I'll come over to Lakeland and you and I are going to talk and we're going to figure out what's going on because what you said really, really worried me because you love that dog. So I don't know why you would want anybody else to take it. And um, so he flew down. It was, I think, a Wednesday um, and we talked about a lot of things and and I still wasn't right. You know, I, I still couldn't concentrate on anything. My mind was all over the place. I, it literally didn't feel like I was in my body. Like I can't describe it any other way, but that, um, just overwhelmed with everything. And then, um, on Friday, my dad and I were, um, we're going to go see a doctor just to kind of see what, what the doctor might recommend. Was there any medication I could go on? Was there any other type of treatment that might be able to help me out in that situation there? And then, and, um, I don't remember what happened on that Friday. A lot of it's a blur, but I do remember that I, I went to a locker room on campus and I, I put a belt around my neck and I was going to kill myself in, in the bathroom uh, of a locker room. Um, and the only reason that I didn't go through with it is because my dad was probably 200 feet away in my office. And that's the only reason I didn't do it because he was there. And, um, thank God he was. Um, I ran out of there, ran right to my dad, just in tears and was like, we got to go now. We got to go figure this out now. Um, so I went to, uh, see, uh, I went to urgent care. I went in, they asked me a couple of questions about things. And, um, there's a law in Florida, it's called the Baker act. And if you answer certain questions a certain way, like indicating that you're going to harm yourself or somebody else, it's a mandatory 72 hours in the uh, mental ward in the hospital. So I got taken to Lakeland Regional Hospital in the back of a police car. Um, not because I was violent or going to hurt anybody, but that was just protocol. And I was in the hospital for 72 hours. Um, and while I was in there, man, you, there were some people in there that that I discovered were way worse off than I was. And, um, you know, it was just, it was a really surreal place. Strange, like there's no TVs lights out at 11, you know, you don't get access to the normal everyday things. I couldn't get a fork because I might use that to hurt myself, you know, or somebody else. And it was crazy. Um, got out of there after three days. By that point, my mom had come down from Pennsylvania as well. Um, and mom and dad were just trying to figure out what to do. Long story short, um, my parents gave up the next month and a half, two months of their lives. My mom and dad both stayed with me for a month. Um, and then my mom went home and then my dad ended up staying an extra month after that into October, um, to make sure that I was going to be okay. And I remember him saying to me, I'm not leaving you until I know that you're going to be okay. Like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here with you the whole time. Um, you know, and I had the, 
was fortunate to see a really good psychiatrist who, who got me back on the right kinds of medications to help balance me out. Um, got with a good therapist who was just very good about diving into some of the issues that were going on and how I could best deal with them. Um, and, and that helped a lot. I got out of that relationship that I was in. Um, and, and that was a, a very freeing kind of feeling. Um, made things a lot better as well. And then as far as work, I just put my head down and went to it, you know. Um, you know, and then the other component of it was my sister losing her baby. And, you know, that was then something I kind of think felt guilty about because my entire family was on vacation together except for me when everything happened. And so I had to kind of deal with that on my own. But, you know, talking to her a lot about it helped. Um, you know, and I, I think the other big part of my recovery, too, was, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a really good home, a, a Christian home. We, we went to church every Sunday. You know, I had definitely gotten away from that in my life. And so that was another part that I needed to rediscover again and, and get back to the, the roots of my faith. And that was huge. Joining a church community that was very supportive um, and, and finding my faith again was huge um, as well. Um, so that's that's kind of what happened to me. It, it wasn't the first time that I dealt with depression and suicidal thoughts, but it was the closest I'd ever come to really hurting myself. And it was frightening. Um, but, you know, things are great now. We're almost two years full removed from that. Um, work is awesome. Um, I'm doing great. Not that I don't have a bad day every now and then. Not everything's perfect all the time. Um, I still have to make sure that I'm taking medication uh, every day like I do. Um, make sure that, um, you know, if there is a problem, I don't see the therapist anymore because he didn't feel like I needed to go. But I know he's a phone call away if I need to talk to him. Um, you know, I, I check in with, with family members and friends from time to time who kind of hold me accountable for some things. Um, but life's good. I'm getting married in November now. Hey. Uh, pretty excited about that. Uh, my sister just had a baby, uh, so I have a niece. And uh, it's kind of crazy how things have changed over the course of, of the last two years. It's crazy. I think this is it's the crazy. third time I've heard time. or read this story. I think I read it when you first posted it about a year ago. Um, and then I reread it a couple of days ago when I was kind of doing research for this podcast. And then obviously hearing you talk about it, um, actually speak about it, it's has made me cry every single time. We'll start there. Um, but it also is just so inspiring to hear kind of and know where you are now, I guess, knowing you in person and knowing you um, and kind of know where you are now compared to obviously what you've gone through. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any I think we talked about it a little before we started the podcast. I know you texted Kyler somewhat back then around when it was happening. Yeah. Um, is, did was it kind of people around you? Obviously, your parents and your family helped you, but people around you kind of helped pick you back up after that or what was what was something that really helped you there were so many different things that went into my family and my friends i i had a friend of mine uh tony castellan i gotta say his name i gotta put this out there he was on a backpacking trip across europe and he called me from siberia to see if i was okay after i got out of the hospital um you know people like that in my life were huge um reconnecting with people maybe i hadn't talked to in a while just to know that people cared about me that was that was huge. And that's what kept me going. Um, and then I had awesome support at Florida Southern. I mean, I really thought, you know, they're going to get rid of me because I can't do the job right now because all this stuff is going on. But um, I've got an awesome now senior associate athletic director in Drew Howard, who was there every step of the way with me and, and who I was, you know, I was honest with him about what was going on. And he knew from the very beginning what was going on. And he went to bat for me with our athletic director, who was also very understanding. And, and uh, Pete Meyer is, is just awesome. Um, you know, my coaches were great and, and uh, co-workers were phenomenal. So the support base was there um, and not everybody has that. But that was a huge part of it. I also think 
there was one time early on, uh, right after my parents had gotten here, where I was like, you know what, I'm I'm just gonna quit and and I'll just move back home. And my mom goes, all right, fine. Then march down to Pete's office right now. Tell him you're gonna quit and you can't do this job. And so, I don't know what it was, but it clicked in my mind. I think it was just the whole like I want to prove my mom wrong because I've always wanted to do that. And it it was I literally looked at her and I was like, you don't think I can do this? Watch me. And that's when it all clicked. And it was like, okay. I'm going to prove that I can do this, not just to her, but to myself really is who I was really proving it to. Um, So I think that's what really kind of got me through it. But talking to my friends and family, obviously my faith played a huge part in it as well um, and still does to this day. And, um, you know, that those support systems are still there. They're still in place. And I know that if I need them, you know, I can take advantage of that. Ryan, not having like previously known you personally, I just want to say like, really thank you for sharing all of that. It's the first time that's the first time hearing mm-hmm. it. It's extremely overwhelming and I can't imagine experiencing that. Um, and I'm really happy, even though I don't know you personally, that you're in a good spot now and you're in a good place and congratulations on getting married soon. That's really exciting. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if this is like the right time to ask this question, but what advice would you offer to people in a similar situation? Um, it's, it's hard because every situation is a little bit different and everybody reacts a little bit differently. I think the piece of advice I would give someone who is in a similar situation, and it doesn't, it's not necessarily depression. It could be anxiety. It could be you know a number of different mental health issues that you're dealing with, is to be open and honest with people, even if there is going to be a stigma about it, even if they are going to perhaps judge you for something, be open and honest with them about it. Because if there really are people that care about you and people that are going to help you, they're going to be able to handle whatever it is that you tell them. It might not be easy for them and they might not be able to accept it right away, but they're going to be able to handle it because they care about you. So don't be afraid to talk about it. And, you know, one of the things I've learned through that is there's a lot more people struggling with this than you realize. And if you're willing to open up and talk about it, that often opens the door for others to talk about it. And then you can share similar experiences that way. But my biggest piece of advice is don't don't wait to get help. Like if you think you need it, go seek it out. If you have to call the you know, National Suicide Prevention Hotline, do it. If you've got to go to the hospital for three days, do it. I mean, whatever it is that you have to do to take care of yourself, make sure that you take care of yourself. I think that's the biggest thing that I would tell somebody. Don't wait and don't try to fix it on your own. Go and get the help that you need, regardless of what you think people might think of you. Because the bottom line is, you know, if if you're not here, um, you know, that's that's going to make things even more difficult. You can't get better if you're not around anymore. And so make sure that you, um, you know, are, are taking the steps necessary to, to take care of yourself. Is there anything um, maybe that you haven't that you haven't done specifically or maybe that you don't do specifically that other people can do um, to kind of like, I don't know, take a breath, you know, kind of ground themselves when they are feeling anxious or depressed or, you know, any of those things that you just hit on, especially in, you know, sorry to interrupt, but especially in this grueling profession. I think it's hard to take a breath, obviously in this job. Um, but one of the things that that I've tried to make a conscious effort to do is to, like, it's okay to say no sometimes. Like, no, I can't do that. No, I'm not going to be around. And 
no, yeah, I am taking Monday off because I worked all weekend. You know, I mean, I'm lucky enough that I have supervisors and an athletic director that understands that and understands the importance of that um, and is supportive of that. You know, not everybody's going to be in that situation, but there are steps that you can take to, you know, to make yourself feel a little bit better and to help yourself out. You've got to take time for yourself. I think the one thing in this profession in athletic communications and as, as sports info professionals is we tend to be, um, we tend to be people pleasers a lot. We want to make sure everybody's happy, but we often don't make ourselves happy or we don't work on making ourselves happy. Our happiness comes from seeing other people happy. You know, I think we, we act that way a lot of times, but you know, take time for yourself, go enjoy your family, go enjoy a day off. Put your computer away. I mean, lately, you know, this summer I'm coming home and I'm not getting on my computer at night to work on things because I know that once the school year starts, I'm going to be doing that all the time. Um, you know, put your phone away, turn it off for a day, tell, and t- but tell people that. Obviously, don't just go off the grid, but, you know, really take some time away. I think that's the biggest thing uh, for me. And do stuff that you like. For me, it's, it's going to Disney with my fiance or it's going to live sporting events or it's taking my dog for a walk. Um, Having a dog actually has been one of the most awesome things for me because they love you unconditionally. And at the same time too, I know that my dog depends on me. So I know that if I'm not in shape to take care of my dog, who's going to do it, right? So, you know, that, that kind of helps me out a little bit too. If you're a cat person, go get a cat, get a ferret. I don't know, something like that. But, you know, uh, pets help. Um, and, and to take time, go out with people, uh, go out to dinner, you know, maybe go out and and just hang out somewhere, whatever. Um, but take time for yourself and don't be afraid to, to take time off. Yeah, and I definitely think, you know, um, there's obviously a stigma around it, but people are fearful to maybe disclose those things to people who oversee them and, and therefore are, are important. Um, but, you know, when you were just telling your story, I, it spoke to me I'm from Florida and I, you know, I used to work in the Sunshine State Conference, but I know that Florida is one of those states where you can be let go at any time. But, it, you know, it's one of those states where, you know, especially working at a private institution, you can be let go any day of the month, any time for no cause at all. And so I can imagine um, that for people who work in states like that, especially in a job where you, you know you need to be on call a lot and you need to work a lot, that might be really difficult to disclose to somebody. So do you have any advice for how to approach that topic of conversation? I think that everybody in their job has one person that they really, really trust and that they're very close with who, who is above them. So for me, it, it was Drew Howard, our, our senior associate AD. He's the one that basically hired me. He's the one that brought me in. He's the first one I talked to. Um, and so he's the person I went to and he's also my direct supervisor. So that was part of it too. But I think identifying that person that, you know, that you can trust and that, you know, is going to have your back with things. Um, there's also other resources if you're on a college campus too. I mean, most college campuses have their own counseling center. Um, you can always go talk to human resources about it too. You know, there, there obviously, uh, there are certain protections that you, that you've got under law and things like that, even, even in an at will state, uh, as far as employment goes, but, um, but it can be really hard because you can question, oh man, is this going to cost me my job? But, you know, find that person that you trust, talk to them about it, um, find resources on your campus that will help you out as well. Uh, if you're, for example, um, we have a counseling center on campus 
but they only see students because they're so overwhelmed with that. But they gave me resources to reach out to people who they knew who were able to help me out with some things too. So there's always that resource as well. Um, but it's, it's really trying to find that person that you trust. And that can be hard sometimes, especially when you're new and you don't quite know everybody. Um, but, um, but I think that that's, that's the biggest piece of advice I could give. Katie and I have asked a lot of questions that the, um, committee has come up with, but is there anything that you, you know, having gone through this, think that we should discuss and maybe that you should share? I think if, and maybe this is a question that's going to be asked from the Facebook stuff, but one thing, if you're someone who is not dealing with the mental health aspect on your own, but you're someone who's there as a support base for someone who is dealing with mental health issues, one thing, or even if you are someone with mental health issues and you're talking to another person about theirs, the worst thing that you can tell somebody is that you know how they feel. Because when it comes to mental illness, nobody knows how anybody else feels. Even those of us who have dealt with the same types of things don't know because we all react a little bit differently and our brains are all wired a little bit differently. I remember early on when my parents were staying with me, um, they slept on a futon for two months. I don't know why they did that other than that they love me, which was pretty cool. But, um, you know, just having them there was amazing. But my mom said to me one time, I know how you feel when I was going through a really, really particularly tough day. And I don't think I've ever yelled at my mom the way that I did then. And I told her, you have no idea how I feel because you're not in my brain right now. And I can't even tell you how I feel right now. That's how confusing this whole thing is to me. So the one thing to remember is that while you might be confused as to why this person is having all these issues, that person is even more confused as to what's going on. So don't, don't ever say to somebody, I know how you feel. You can be like, you know, I sympathize with how you feel, you know, I've, I've felt this particular way before, but to tell someone that you know how they feel, that never tends to work out really, really well. So that's one thing, piece of advice I would give people who are kind of on the outside looking in at somebody who's struggling with, with mental illness. Really good point. So earlier in the week, Ryan, we asked on Facebook if anybody had any questions for you or for our entire group to talk about regarding mental health. And um, we got a bunch, and one of the first ones we got was from Brian Savard. And he was asking us, um, what what do you tell your boss? And you kind of touched on it, but what do you tell your boss, or do you even tell your boss? Um, and, you know, kind of what was that what was that interaction and that process like for you? I, I mean, I just scheduled a meeting and was like, well, actually, I, I mean, I talked with my, you know, my associate AD and he's the one that went to my athletic director and kind of kept him in the loop on things. But, you know, as far as what do you disclose, what don't you disclose? I mean, that's really whatever you feel comfortable doing is what you should do. Like, I don't think that everybody necessarily at the time needed to know the details of what my suicide attempt was like or what you know, how I felt, you know, day to day and what was going on in my brain. They just needed to know I was struggling with something. Now, there were some people that I was completely honest with. Hey, I was in the hospital for three days, blah, blah, blah. There were some people that didn't know that. They knew I was gone for a couple of days, but they weren't. It was actually over a weekend. So that kind of helped that situation a little bit too. Um, you know, it's really, it's really about what you're comfortable sharing. Um, you know, looking back on it, I may have gone and talked to our HR people about it as well. But at the time I was so new that I just didn't think about that in the grand scheme of things, but you can always do that as well. They're going to be able to tell you, you know, certain things and, and, you know, what you have to disclose, what you don't have to disclose. I mean, there's certain things that you don't have to tell people if you don't want to. Um, it's about, 
you know, really, what are you comfortable sharing? But at the same time, you've got to share enough that people can help you. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, and so, you know, my answer to that question would share what you're comfortable with, but make sure that it's enough that it's going to help you in the long run and help people to understand what you're going through and, and help you get through it. One of the follow-up questions that Brian had was, if your mental health is disclosed to your boss, how might you deal with any like stigma that they might have? And I was thinking a little bit more about that. Like, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, like with anything that we've asked, but are you ever, are you ever nervous that this is going to affect like the responsibilities that you've been given? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I've never been nervous about it. I could understand why other people would be, but you know, from the very beginning, like I said, I've had really good support from from those above me and, and who I report to. Um, you know, one of the things in in kind of sharing this stuff and disclosing it to other people was I've learned about other people that have struggled with it that I didn't know or somebody who had a family member that committed suicide and I didn't know about that. And, you know, I've had doors and opportunities open like, like this with you guys today um, to talk to people about it. You know, I've had coaches come, I mean, all, all my, I mean, people know the story because I've told it to them and, um, and stuff like that. I've not kept it a secret, um, from anybody at Florida Southern. And so I've had coaches come and be like, yeah, man, you wouldn't believe the kids that come to me on my team that are struggling with this and you know, all that kind of stuff. And I tell them like, listen, you don't have to tell them to come talk to me, but just tell them, you know, somebody in the athletic department that's more than willing to talk about, you know, what they've been going through. So, um, you know, I, I think, the situation is so unique to each individual and, and is there going to be stigma and things like that? It's, it's really tough to say and give great advice that can apply to everybody because every situation is a little bit different. And I think that's where you go back to who can you trust and who do you really, who are you close to um, that you know would be able to help you out? Um, You know, who's, who's definitely someone above your pay grade because you want that person in your corner fighting for you. And, And I've been lucky enough to have that. Um, you know, maybe not everybody would, but um, hopefully there's somebody uh, that'd be willing to, to go to bat for you. So I'm just going to follow up with another question that was on the Facebook. Um, as a supervisor, how would you approach um, the situation if someone disclosed their um, mental health issues with you? That's a really tough question because I, I'm not... Like I'm not in the role where I'm a supervisor who someone would disclose that to and I've never had my own issues. So like I see it from both sides, whereas somebody that's a supervisor might only see it from one side. Um, but you know, the first thing I would do is is I would tell that person, hey, listen, like, you know, thank you for telling me about that. Thank you for letting me know what you're going through. You know, this is only gonna help me in the long run be able to help you out, you know explain to them that you're not going to say anything to anybody else unless that person, you know, either gives you permission to, or or will go and talk to that person on their own. Um, You know, tell them, you know, make sure that you know what mental health resources there are on your campus or in your workplace. Everybody has them. And so it's important to know that as a supervisor, I I think, and and know what your protocols are uh, are on those kinds of things. Um, But really more than anything, the biggest thing you can do is just, Again, you're never going to be able to tell someone that you understand exactly what they're going through. But I think if you can at least show them some compassion and show them that, hey, like, 
I'm not going to treat you necessarily differently just because you're going through this. Like you're, you know, I'm not going to stigmatize you. I think that's the biggest thing that a supervisor could do uh, for somebody else. So we have another question from James Wagner, um, trying to just wanted you to discuss maybe the benefits of therapy since you did say you went at the beginning. Um, he did say, he told us he goes to therapy twice a month and really enjoys it and thinks it's really beneficial. So I guess what's your experience with that? I think therapy is huge because one thing is, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, just go talk to your friends, just go talk to your family members. That's all well and good. But the problem with that is a lot of times those people love you and they want you to feel good. And so they're going to tell you what you want to hear. They're not always going to tell you what you need to hear. So when you go to somebody that's a little bit more impartial and doesn't know you from Adam, um, they're going to tell you some things to consider that that other people might not say to you um, because they want you to feel good. And, and, you know, my therapist never made me feel bad, but brought up some really good questions that I had to answer and that I had to think about, you know, gave me ways to cope with things when things got overwhelming. Um, they're professionals for a reason. They've got the training in it and they've got the experience in it. And so I think that it's really, really beneficial for some people. Um, they may have to go to therapy for years. For me, it was about six months. And after that six months, we had a session and he said, Ryan, I don't think you have to come see me anymore. Um, he said, if you, if you want to continue coming to see me, you can, but you're at a point where you're going to be okay. Um, he goes, but if something happens, give me a call and you can always come back and see me. Um, and so that was, you know, that was really good to hear, but some, some, for some people, it's not going to be like that and that's okay. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but therapy is very, very beneficial. I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize is um, usually everybody in their health insurance plan has some type of coverage for some mental health stuff um, and therapy sessions and things. I think mine at Florida Southern covered like the first eight, maybe, or 10 sessions I would go to, uh, something like that. I, I can't remember if that's the right number. Um, but everybody usually has something like that in there. So that's something to definitely explore. But, you know, it's like I said, it's not just about getting on medication and, and helping having that help you because that might not work for everybody. Um, therapy might not work for everybody, but a combination of different things can. And you know, it, it was a really big part uh, for me of just, you know, being able to consider what was going on in my life and how was I going to deal with it? And he gave me good advice and good ways to deal with things, asked me hard questions. Um, but at the same time that also asking those hard questions, helped get my mind off of the things that were keeping me down and, and made my mind active. And I had to think about stuff. And because of that, I all of a sudden now wasn't thinking about me being depressed. I was thinking about, well, why did, why did I react this way to this certain situation? And how did I react to that? What should I have done? You know, things like that. As a follow-up to that, how do you get started? So like you, you mentioned that, you know, everyone should have some sort of access, but like, even me, I've had a, I've had a pretty tough year personally, and I it was something that I wanted to look into, but it's kind of overwhelming to go through like your insurance or something like that. But you know, did you get connected through, as you mentioned before, like your counseling center on campus, or this is something that you just you found online, or like where do where can people start? So my mom googled <laughs> it, and he was one of the people that we found on Google. And the thing is, like you might go to a therapist and that might not be the therapist for you. And you might go to another therapist and that might not be the therapist for you. It might take two or three or four or five tries to find that person that you really connect with and are, and are going to have a good relationship with. 
it's the same way with the medication too. Like the doctor might put you on something and two weeks later they have to up the dosage or they have to change the medication and things like that. So it's definitely a process and it's overwhelming, but you know, I mean, honestly, uh, Google was a good place, I guess, to start for me. I can thank my mom for that. Um, you know, your counseling center can give you stuff. If you, you know, if you're somebody that's, that's a church goer and you're going to church on a regular basis or whatever, usually your church will have resources for that. Um, you know, there's all kinds of different, different resources out there to find things now. Um, you know, if you know somebody else that's been to therapy, maybe you talk to them about it. Not everybody will disclose that, but somebody might. Um, I think those are the resources to, to really look at. Anything else that we should touch on? Ooh, I don't know. There's, there's so much, you know, and, and it's, uh, mental health is something that I'm learning more and more about every day. I think the big thing for people to do is to, to educate themselves. Um, if you go to the, um, it's the American foundation for suicide prevention, um, to their website, I think it's AFSP.org. Um, there's some staggering statistics on mental health and, and suicide and things like that. I think, um, one really big thing for everybody to remember is, the sheer number of people in this country and across the world that struggle with this stuff on a daily basis. I guarantee you that everybody listening knows someone in their life who is dealing with this, whether they know it or not. Um, a lot of people are good at hiding it. I think you've seen that, you know, Robin Williams, like who would have ever thought Robin Williams would kill himself? You know, a guy that made everybody else laugh and, and was hilarious. Um, but I think that shows you that people can sometimes use comedy or they can use something else to kind of hide their pain. So, you know, be compassionate and be understanding and know that somebody's going, everybody's going through something and you don't know what that is. And so, you know, the, the more compassionate you can be with people is huge, but just edu educate yourself on, on mental health. There's a lot of resources out there. Um, obviously you can just Google it and you'll, you'll find all kinds of stuff, but it's pretty staggering when you look at the numbers and you realize just, how big of an issue it is. Um, and, you know, especially I think for us who are, who are working in college athletics, um, college is, can be a really tough time for a lot of people. I'm, I'm talking about student athletes um, and students. It can be a really tough time. And so uh, we, you know, as professionals should kind of be aware of, of what we're looking for um, in warning signs, uh, what we're looking for as far as resources to help people. Um, because you're going to run across somebody in your career, whether it's a student athlete or a coach or another staff member, whatever, who deals with this kind of stuff. And, and I think that you need to be prepared to answer some questions and, and provide some guidance if you need to. Once again, Ryan, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, like I said earlier, I heard about your story about a year ago when you posted on Facebook. Um, and I've been inspired by you since then. And it's really great for other people to now be able to hear your story and hear about everything you've gone through and and you, you coming out on the other side right now. Definitely. I've, I've enjoyed it. I'm really glad you guys brought me on. It's something that's um, really close to my heart, obviously. And I tell people all the time, you know, I'm still here for a reason. Um, I'm one of the, I forget how many hundreds of thousands of people each year who survive a suicide attempt. And so um, I survived that for a reason. And if I didn't share my story with others, I think it would be wasted. And I'm really glad that you guys have given me the opportunity to, to share that with some more people. So thank you very much. All right. And if you have any other things you want to ask us, ask Ryan, um, you can always find me on Twitter at Katie Mucci. How can we find you guys? It's at KFG winning. And Ryan? So Twitter is at R Bauer, B-O-W-E-R 126. 
Uh, you can find me on there if you want. Uh, you could email me, rbauer uh, at fl, as in Florida, southern.edu. You can find my email on the staff directory page at fscmox.com. There's a little plug for the athletics website. Um, you know, uh, or you can find me on Facebook too. So any, any way that anybody wants to contact me, um, more than happy to talk to anybody about it. Ryan, thank you so much for talking to us. And it was nice to meet you over the interwebs. Um, for everyone who listened, thank you again for listening. Stay up to date with our podcast by following us on iTunes. Um, Posida also posts about any upcoming um, episodes on Twitter and Facebook. So thanks again. And until next time.